From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And today we wanted to focus on the labor HHS education spending bill because it's the biggest non-defense bill of the year. It encompasses so many programs that are so vital for so many people. We're talking about everything from Alzheimer's and cancer research to the Title X family planning grants to Occupational Safety and Health Administration, jobs programs, Head Start, child care, Pell Grants, so much more. Uh, and they just uh, it just got out of the House committee yesterday on a party line vote. So there's big fights ahead. But before we get to that bill specifically, Jen, we did get some news yesterday about uh, the process on the House floor and the, all the action coming up there to get some of these spending bills moving. Um, bring us up to date a little bit on what we know now on the schedule. Yeah, we have a little bit of a clearer picture of what the House floor is going to be debating when it comes in next week um, for that two-week session that it has scheduled before it leaves town again for its August recess. Um, One big thing is that two-week House session could turn into a three-week House session depending on how talks on a COVID-19 supplemental spending bill go. Um, But we did get a much clearer picture from House Majority Leader Sonny Hoyer, a Democrat of Maryland, about when those spending bills will be on the floor. And so next week, they're going to start off with a four-bill spending package that includes the Agriculture, Interior Environment, Military Construction VA, and State Foreign Operations funding bills. That'll be on the House floor next Thursday and Friday. And then the following week, that last full week of July, We don't know exactly what funding package will be on the House floor. Hoyer didn't um, lay that out in his dear colleague letter that he sent out Monday afternoon, but he did say that he hopes by the end of July to have the House having passed legislation that funds about 96% of the government. And it's really likely that that other 4%, as we've reported, is going to be the Homeland Security Spending Bill. That's probably not going to the House floor for the second year in a row. There are concerns among progressive Democrats about funding levels in the bill for Customs and Border Protection and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. And so it's unlikely that Democrats would have enough votes from within their party to advance that Homeland Security Spending Bill. So my best guess right now on what that second funding package will be is that I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Commerce, Justice, Science, Defense, Energy, Water, Financial Services, Labor, HHS, Education, Legislative Branch, and Transportation HUD funding bills. Um, And then that will kind of wrap up the House's role for right now in the annual appropriations process, um, because as I'm sure we're all aware, we're still getting crickets from the Senate on when they may release their funding bills if they'll mark up their funding bills or whether or not we even see floor debate over there, which I think given the timeline is highly unlikely. Yeah. So after months of delay here, we're finally going to see spending bills get moving though, at least in the house. And that's a big package next week of four spending bills wrapped together into one bundle, which is not uncommon. We should say they often have to bundle these things together to get them done because they run out of time all the time. Um, But at least they're moving now and they So if they get most of their bills done this month, it can at least set up negotiations with the Senate if the Senate ever gets moving on them, right? I guess maybe September for the Senate? 
Yeah, I, I'm um, a bit skeptical at this point that the Senate Appropriations Committee marks up any of their bills. I personally would really like to see that happen. I really enjoy the type of debate that happens in the Senate Appropriations Committee, but I really don't think that's likely this year. I think even if they can negotiate a fifth COVID-19 aid package um, and therefore appropriators on the committee would need to offer those amendments, which have been causing a bit of an issue. I still think there's a lot of other amendment debate. It's going to be really tricky to sort out on the Senate side uh, during an election year. And so I think the best case scenario right now in the Senate is that they release their funding bills as is and then go directly to conference with the House. I'm still hoping for markups, but I just think given the timeline and that it's an election year um, and kind of the way that everything's been going with negotiating a fifth COVID package, I just don't see it happening. Okay. So that's what we know about the schedule. Now let's get to the labor HHS bill because it's a monster as usual. It's about $196 billion in regular discretionary funding. Um, and that doesn't count all this emergency funding that comes on top of it uh, for the COVID-19 pandemic that Democrats want to include that's making some Republicans unhappy, right, Jen? Right. So the Labor HHS and Education Funding Bill includes $24.4 billion in emergency funding. A lot of this would go to address the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the National Institutes of Health, and the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, also known as BARDA, would all get significant chunks of that emergency funding. Um, state and public health officials would also get some. Uh, and the idea is to really kind of address the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic uh, as we continue to see spikes in cases and deaths throughout the country. Um, Democrats on the House Appropriations Committee have been saying that they really think that in addition to negotiating these standalone packages, there needs to be money in the annual spending bills to address this long term, especially as we look towards early 2021 and to hopefully a vaccine coming out and all the types of issues with distribution that the country, the federal government and state governments are going to see with trying to get a vaccine out. Republicans are extremely concerned about that emergency funding and ranking member Tom Cole pointed out that for NIH specifically, their um, non-emergency funding would only increase by about $275 million. NIH is a hugely popular bipartisan institution. They, for the last few years, have enjoyed really significant increases in funding. And so Representative Cole was saying during the markup this week that he's concerned that once the House enters conference negotiations with the Senate, um, during which time it's highly likely that this emergency spending goes away or is significantly reduced, the NIH would not really see its inflation plus increases like it's been used to getting from Congress. So there are some significant concerns there from Republicans. Yeah, NIH is always popular with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, and they're used to substantial increases in that agency, be not including emergencies. And we should say, I mean, this emergency money, it's really rubbing Republicans the wrong way, not just in this bill, but in all the bills, because Republicans say they had no buy-in to it. There was no input from Republicans in, in crafting it. And they wanted to treat the pandemic separately in a separate legislation. And, and there are talks that are going to be going on for a separate bill. And so they, Republicans just don't want to see it bundled up into these annual bills and inflating the cost of the annual bills. That could really cause a problem here down the road, right? 
Yeah, Republicans have been saying during subcommittee markups and full committee markups that Democrats putting billions upon billions of dollars throughout the annual funding bills um, in emergency spending violates that two-year spending caps agreement that the House, the Senate, and the Trump administration reached last summer. Uh, they say any additional emergency funding, whether it not be whether it be for COVID nineteen or potential natural disasters, needs to be addressed in those standalone negotiated packages, and that it really shouldn't be kind of weaved into these annual funding bills in the appropriations process. So we know that's something that's going to be an issue throughout the next few months as the House and Senate and the White House get into some type of conference negotiations, although we're not really sure yet what those are going to look like. Yeah. So this was a party line vote yesterday, 30 to 22, uh, with all Republicans opposing it. Um, give us some of the highlights, Jen. What are, what are some of the other big sticking points here in this bill? Yeah, Republicans mentioned their concerns about charter school funding reductions. Uh, the House bill includes about $400 million for the charter school program. That would be a $40 million reduction below enacted levels. Uh, Congressman Tom Cole and a couple other Republicans on the committee were frustrated by that, and they don't think that this is an appropriate thing for Democrats to be doing, especially as there are ongoing conversations about the best way for students in K through 12 education, as well as universities and colleges to get back to school. And so they are opposed to those cuts um, and they expect that to be one of the more forthright issues during conference negotiations. There's also concerns about policy language that the Democrats put in the bill regarding Title X family planning grants. Um, these are the grants that we all heard about last year when the Trump administration put in a new rule because Planned Parenthood would no longer be eligible to apply for these family planning grants through Health and Human Services. And so Democrats are essentially reversing that Trump administration decision so that Planned Parenthood could, if it chooses to, once again apply for these family planning grants. Uh, Republicans say that that's really a step too far and that they cannot support that. There's also a lot of language in here addressing unaccompanied children. Um, we have not heard a lot lately about the issue of unaccompanied children migrating up um, through Mexico from South and Central America. But when accompanied, unaccompanied children arrive at the border, they are not taken care of by Homeland Security. They're taken care of by Health and Human Services. And so Democrats put language in this bill um, that would bar HHS from sharing information that children discuss during mental health or therapy sessions with Homeland Security or Justice for immigration enforcement purposes. So that's one issue that we've heard about from Democrats for months and that they just hope to sort of codify in that bill. But that's another issue that Republicans are really going to be focused on later this year um, when the House and Senate are working out these bills. Yeah. And then there's one issue that could really be an interesting fight here on the House floor whenever they get to it, not next week, but maybe the week after, um, which is a uh, growing concern among the among some in the Democratic Party about the so-called Hyde Amendment. This is the annual rider in the bill that blocks federal funding from for paying for abortions in most cases. And there is a growing sense among the progressive wing of the party that that, that they just don't want to see that anymore. They think it's discriminatory uh, for poor women not to be able to get abortions. The Hyde Amendment had long been seen as sort of a truce in the abortion wars, as long as the federal government wasn't paying for it, 
uh, than, you know, they were allowing abortions generally, but that was the deal was that no federal funding. And, and now you're seeing a lot of pushback from that from Democrats. And this bill still has that rider in it. And that's going to cause a problem because some of the progressives have already made clear that they intend to fight that on the floor and seek an amendment to strip off the Hyde Amendment. And the subcommittee chairwoman, Rosa DeLauro, who heads Labor HHS, put Hyde in her bill, but she said she, she is going to fight to remove it. Now, she didn't do it yesterday in committee, so I assume that means she's going to do it when the bill comes to the floor and there'll be some kind of amendment on the floor to remove the Hyde Amendment, and that is going to trigger a big fight over abortion policy, uh, and that's, that could cause a problem for this bill. Yeah, I think it's going to be really challenging for the House Rules Committee and for House Democratic leadership to kind of tiptoe the very complicated line this year between progressive Democrats who really want to see this removed and view it as an issue of racial justice and more moderate Democrats who are going to be facing tough re-election in the fall and whose districts might not support um, Hyde being removed from the annual funding bills. I do not anticipate that the House Rules Committee is going to approve either of these funding packages with an open rule that would allow for any member to offer any amendment they want to the funding bills. I very much expect a structured rule process where any member can offer an amendment to the Rules Committee, but then the Rules Committee um, sort of filters through those amendments and puts a limited number of them on the floor for debate. That is a tool that Republicans and Democrats use on large bills, particularly funding bills, in an election year to avoid controversial issues. Um, that being said, an amendment stripping Hyde from the Labor HHS education funding bill would absolutely be germane. So this is going to be a really tough thing if Democratic leadership wants to block that from getting to the floor to protect their moderates from having to take a roll call vote on it, that could be a really challenging thing to justify. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.